Uh, Listen to the words of Jesus as he is talking now to people that are sitting around him, uh, interested in what he has to say about God and life. There, There was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he, being the rich man, called him, meaning the manager, in and asked him, what is this I'm hearing about you? Give an account of your management because, and I'm sort of paraphrasing here, if things keep going this direction, you can't be the manager here any longer. Um, So, so far, the story is uh, pretty clear, right? Um, I think all of us get what's going on here. We know from our own experience that uh, in the workaday world, there are people that are effective managers and there are people that are not so effective managers. There are people that are faithful ones and competent ones. And then there are people who just aren't. And, um, and this is one of these guys who apparently is not. And in this story, the poor manager sees that he's about to be Donald Trumped, right? He knows those, you know, you're, the you're fired uh, call is about to, to, be, uh, to be brought down on him. So, Jesus says, and I quote him again here, the manager said to himself, self, what shall I do now? What shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig. I guess that was the sort of the other job opportunity out there in, in plentiful supply. And I'm ashamed to beg. I, I do not want to sit by the side of the street with cardboard. You know, I just, I can't see myself doing that. So you can see him now pacing about with anxiety over his impending loss of employment. He's rubbing his head. He's tossing uh, in bed at night over the reality of what he sees coming. He's, he's filled with dread at the thought of having to break the news to his wife and family, no doubt. And then just as suddenly as the shadow of losing his job sweeps over him, a wave of inspiration now washes over him as well. Jesus says, so he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 800 gallons of olive oil, the customer replies. The manager tells, told him, well, then take your bill, sit down quickly, and let's make it 400. A 50% debt forgiveness here. Then he asked the second client, And how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, the man replied. Well, you've been a great customer, the manager says, in effect. Let's just knock off 20% of that as professional courtesy. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. You can see what he's doing here, perhaps. You can see his, his, his motivation behind these actions because he can, goes on and then confesses it in verse 4. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. Now, do you understand why some traditions have named this particular story Jesus tells the parable of the dishonest manager? Raise your hand if you can see why this guy kind of seems dishonest here. Okay, yeah. I I think that 
that this is one of those people, like the ones who make the news all the time these days in our time. He's like the purchasing agent in a company who awards a, a, a great contract, uh, a cut rate one perhaps, to an inferior vendor in exchange for a kickback. We hear a lot of those stories. Or he's like the politician who cuts the ethically questionable deal so that some big industry is going to make out well and they'll funnel a bunch of funds into uh, her campaign fund um, at, at just the right time. Or, he, or he's like the babysitter who lets the kids get away with murder. All kinds of things they're not supposed to do when the parents are away because she thinks, you know, maybe some of these other kids will encourage their parents to hire me as a babysitter. Our natural reaction when we hear stories like this, the one that Jesus tells here, is to condemn the manager. Right? Would you say that's true? We want to condemn this person. So what is Jesus getting at when he goes on to say that the master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly? What do you make of that? What's going on here and what's the import for all of us? Well, in classic Jesus style, I think Christ is trying to to hurl a brick at us, in a sense, something that's really hard to take in and understand, in an effort to really shake up our thinking. And in shaking up our thinking to change our acting. And a lot of the stories that Jesus tells are like this. They're bricks. They're not feathers. They're designed to disturb and and disrupt our way of being in the world in the hopes of moving us in a fresh direction. In this story, Jesus anticipates the confusion of his listeners. Okay, much like he did when he told the stories of the lost uh, coin and sheep and uh, son earlier Um, as we talked about last week, he knows this is going to be confusing to people. So he supplies us with the key we need to understand this particular parable in the very next sentence. The people of this world, he says, this is the part I really want you to key on. This is the big idea, all right, for, for this evening. The people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their kind than are the people of the light. In other words, there is a focused intelligence, shrewdness, to the way that even some very corrupt people operate their affairs, manage their affairs, from which faithful disciples of Jesus can learn. That's what Jesus is saying here. Don't get caught up in too many of the details around the edges. The big idea here is, If you really pay attention to the way of the world, there are some lessons there for those of us who are the children of the light, uh, the the followers of Christ. And I want you to think about this with me uh, today. What might you and I actually learn from the example of this dishonest manager? Because there are going to be some lessons here if we really study it carefully. Well, for one thing, the manager understood that he had been charged with significant responsibility. He would not have been anxious and concerned uh, uh, about what was going to happen to him if he did not know that he, in the first place, had been given 
a pretty significant responsibility. The biblical word for manager here, the Greek word that is used in this particular story, is the word oikonomos, oikonomos, from which we get the word what? Economics. That's right. This is the root word for our, our word economics. It literally means, an oikonomos, it literally means a steward of the house. The steward of the house. In the ancient world, no one other than the master himself had greater authority than the oikonomos. In a large household, one with, um, uh, with substantial affairs and property and, and resources, uh, there would have been one particular servant appointed to be the manager of the household so that the master and the, the, the lead family uh, did not have to concern themselves with the day-to-day um, management of function. And the economos was somebody to whom the master would delegate almost complete control of the property. Okay, this was somebody that he would not have to or she would not have to micromanage. Um, this person would have control. The, the economos was given a lot of resources to work with and a lot of latitude in how those resources um, were applied. Uh, so long as the oikonomos remembered the prime directive, right? The prime directive, and that is pursue the master's interests. Make sure that, that all the decisions I'm making, when they were seen, if they, if they were vetted by the master, the master would say, yeah, I can see why that would be consistent with, with, my, with my basic interests. Now, in trying to help the Corinthian Christians, uh, and these were, the, so these were the Chicago Christians of their day, okay? Corinth was a happening city. It was a cosmopolitan uh, place uh, in ancient Greece. And in trying to help the Corinthians think about their own identity, you know, who they really were and what their mission was in the world, St. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 4 and verse 1. Think of yourselves in this way, as servants of Christ and oikonomous, the plural of oikonomos, think of yourself as stewards. He said, if you're looking for a basic job description for yourself in life as my disciple, think of yourself as a servant and, uh, and as an oikonomos, a steward. Uh, Jesus is trying to say here, or through the, the Gospels are telling us, and Paul, the apostles are telling us now, that, that Jesus um, has made his disciples managers of his resources. Um, and that's, you know, this takes a lifetime to take in, I think, for me, is that you know, everything I do you know, with, with what I've been given, my education, uh, my, uh, my network of relationships, um, my, uh, the, the money in my, you know, in my Quicken ledger, in my bank, uh, my reputation, all of these resources that have sort of come to me along the way are, are a sacred trust that I'm meant to use in a way that is consistent with his basic purposes. And this is what Paul is trying to say to us. I, I cannot pretend that these things I have um, are for my own security and comfort only. 
that they were just you know basically intended for me just to enjoy. I am responsible for uh, the the household for for my work in the master's household. I cannot tell myself either that I've got no control really over these resources that the credit card companies and the banks own me uh, because I'm responsible for the the choices that got me there. I am a I am responsible for the way I use resources. Now, even the worldly manager understood that with responsibility comes accountability. Okay, these things go hand in hand. Um, and he understood that, that he was going to be held accountable for the things that he did with those resources, although it momentarily apparently had gone out of his view. He might have fooled himself for a little while into thinking that the household was all of his and that he could do anything he liked with it, but he eventually came to see that there's going to come a time when the true owner of the riches comes home and says, what's this I hear about you? You know, what is this I hear about you? I've told a story here um, in the past of, of a time when my wife and I went away overseas and turned our house over to a um, house sitter. And uh, we came back, and not only had she had a pretty significant party there, she hadn't even bothered to clean up after the party. And, and she had, she had uh, you know, forgotten to bring in all the newspapers, and they were all stacked up outside, and she had let the cat out, and the cat had gotten killed. You know, she just was a very bad oikonomos, right? And you can imagine, she got Donald Trumped, too. I mean, we, there was some hard... Com- there, there was accountability uh, f- for this. Um, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management, is what the, the master here says. <clears throat> and so it's going to be <clears throat> for all of us. You know, this is really something worth sitting with. There is going to come a day when we will stand in the presence of the God who gave us life and he's going to say, tell me what what you did with it, with all that I entrusted to you. Uh, And Jesus is so intent upon us getting that reality that it's just not in this parable, but in like, Lots of other parables that he keeps saying this as he's like, it seems like he's concerned. We may not absorb it if he doesn't give it to us a lot of different ways. And so we hear the same idea in the parable of the tenants in the vineyard. We hear the same idea in the parable of the talents. Um, We hear it here in the parable of the shrewd steward and of many other stories. Jesus tells there's going to come a day of accounting. Nobody, nobody gets away without ultimately being asked, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management. Now, God wants that to be a day of celebration, right? He's, he's really, really excited about this. I, I, I have a, one of my kids will sometimes say at the dinner table, um, dad, ask me about the chemistry test. You know, because he knows he was like very faithful in studying for the chemistry test and the results were good. And he's, and he's just excited about reporting in about this. 
God wants that kind of an encounter with us. He wants it to be a time of rejoicing when he confers more responsibility uh, upon us. And I will tell you this about, you know, this, this one of these kids of, of mine. The more responsibility he shows in, in, in um, executing in a way that's consistent with the master's interests. I'm talking about my wife, of course. Uh, you know, the more he does the more responsibility I want to give him, the more latitude I want to give him. Uh, This is the kid who gets the chance to kind of stay out late at night because I I just have confidence in in the way he's going to use uh, the resources that have been entrusted to him. This is what God wants to say to you and to me. Well done, good and faithful servant. This is what he's puts in the mouth of the master in the parable of the talents. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. That's what he wants to do. He wants to give you more and more resources and responsibility as you prove faithful in in using the small things. But but here, I think, is where we, we learn a third thing about um, stewardship from the example of even this dishonest manager. Because of, of, of this accountability, and because he'd been lax in what? His responsibility. The manager shows appropriate humility. Okay? Uh, that's the third thing we learn from him. He, he shows humility in the face of this accountability for his lack of responsibility. And so I want you to notice that in this story, he does not ignore the mess he's in. He does not try and pretend like it's of no serious consequence or that he could deny it and therefore escape it by just uh, pretending it didn't happen. He does not blame his problem on other people. He does not go back to the master, for example, and say here, if only you'd given me more resources to manage, if only you'd checked in more regularly. You know, he doesn't make any of those kinds of excuses. He simply goes into a creative crisis and and he says, what shall I do now? Okay, I've messed up. And there are consequences. What am I going to do now? Given my circumstances, how can I behave going forward to protect my future? Uh, to, To have things work out brighter ahead for me. Many Christians, many followers of Jesus need to have a creative crisis like this. And I think Jesus is trying to provoke it when he hurls this brick of a story at us. We need to do a better job of preparing for our future. We need to take a lesson from, from, from this steward and from the people of the world. Most of the people of the world, at least the ones I know, that I you know, live around and hang out with and spend time with at, at community events, most of the people who don't do the Jesus thing very seriously, um, These folks are unabashedly preparing for their future. And in their view, their future is is best prepared for by racking up as many comforts, 
to themselves as they can possibly accumulate because their belief is that, 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 future, that their future is about success and security. They want to have success and security. And that leads them to be very intentional about trying to, to score big in the, in the world of, of, of finance and material comfort. Meanwhile, Christians say, and I'm including myself in this, that we're heading toward a future where success and security will be measured in terms of how faithful we were to the, to the call and the concerns of God. You know, we say that in the end, that's what's going to matter the most because Jesus has said it in so many different ways. Um, but we're not prepared for that. We're not prepared for the day of accounting, many of us. Um, is, and, it, and it's a... It's where this things really go wacky, I think, for us uh, in, in a lot of ways. Because we're not as shrewd in preparing for the future we say we believe in as the people of the world are. That's what Jesus is really saying to us in this story. Uh, you know, I, for example, you know, I just think about, get really concrete about it. I, I know, because I've, I've read the Old Testament, that God calls us to be people who tithe. Right? He says, 10% of what um, comes your way, I want that to go into the kingdom work. That's the, that's the starting place, 10%, which is not a bad deal, right? You know, Halloween's coming. Uh, you, 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 say to, you say to a kid, hey, here's 10 candies. Do you mind if I keep one? The kid says, oh, yeah, no problem, no problem. You can have one back. Um, God says that, that it should work this way. Yet research suggests... Hard research suggests the average household of churchgoers, 1%, maybe 2%, goes out to, king, kingdom, to kingdom causes. Um, God calls us to be a community that truly shares the burden, bear one another's burdens, share the ministry together. Um, you know, we're all ministers, right? Every one of us. We're all ministers in the church, missionaries in the world, we, you know, this isn't Dan Meyer's church, right? This is ours. This is, this is the work of God that we all get to share in. Yet 80% of the cost, actually in this church, it's 90% of the cost of sustaining the ministry. 10% of the people do it. Hundreds, hundreds don't invest in any way that we have any record of. Now, they may be giving very anonymously, you know, in, in wonderful ways. Um, but we just don't have a record of it to, to, to track that. We know that God calls us to be uh, his hands in the world that help raise the poor from the dust and, and, and lift the needy from the ash heap. Like we saw pictures of the ash heap in, in Egypt. You know, we have a program, a, a partner. We have a way of doing that through this church. To, to make profound difference in the lives of the poor in all kinds of ways, that mission fund stays static. It doesn't, it, it, it's not growing. Uh, and it so easily could if we, all of us, just decided we, we were going to, one more percent of our resources in the direction of, of kingdom causes. You know, in our lectionary reading for, for today, one of the other lectionary readings, Amos 
um, the prophet says in, in chapter 8, that God takes very careful note of those who invest heavily in their own uh, commercial and consumer interests while neglecting the concerns that he's laid out for us. Um, I will never forget anything they've done, says the Lord. Oh, wow. That's sobering. I will not, I'm not missing anything, is what he's saying. I'm not going to forget these 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 things that, they, that, that they're doing and ignoring my concerns. Jesus goes on and amplifies this in Luke chapter 16. He says, so if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who's going to trust you with true riches? And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, meaning God's, who will give you property of your own? And what's most disturbing of all is that we do not appear to be terribly troubled by this. And, and actually, some of you listening, listening to me talk about this are, are thinking, oh, gosh, when are you going to get off the rag on this? You know? You know? It's, you know, I'm, I've got dinner soon. We're not troubled enough by, by this, this disparity between the reality of our responsibility and accountability and actions here. I ought to be on my knees in profound humility before the master who gave 100% to meet my spiritual needs um, at the cross and toward whose concerns I struggle sometimes to leave what anybody in this room would call a bad tip. You know, I struggle struggle to the 10% figure. Um, I ought to be on my knees in humility about that. I ought to be begging forgiveness for so investing in my little castle, in the next iPhone, in all of the stuff that I'm, I do get caught up. I plead guilty. I get caught up. I ought to be brokenhearted about this, begging forgiveness because I'm not committing more of what he's given me to advancing um, his kingdom. I mean, there just aren't richer people than Americans in history. Forget the world, history, and that we don't feel more responsibility to invest differently to the needs of the world. It ought to be convicting us. The way some of us mismanage the resources entrusted, uh, we ought to be crying, what shall I do now? What shall I do now to better prepare for the future, uh, for the, uh, the coming accountability? And I think this is the final and the most important thing that we can learn from the manager in Christ's parable. Stewardship implies responsibility, accountability, humility, and here's another word for you, mutability. Mutability. That is an SAT word meaning capacity to change. Okay, capacity for change. Did you notice the nature of the change in the manager's life in the story here? Uh, Don't get stuck in the fact that he appears to have bilked his boss to do so. That's not what Jesus is getting at. It's not the point of the parable. The point Christ is making is that this man changed from investing in his immediate needs to spending his energies in a way that protected his long-term interests. Um, He knew his present position was terminal. Okay, he understood that. And so he starts doing things to increase the prospect of his well-being 
in the next season of life. That's, that's the example he's setting for us here. The shrewd steward finally realizes that the only treasure he can keep is the kind that he stores up in the coin of relationship. Relationships are everything. They can take everything else away from me. But if I've, I've invested in relationships, I, I'm covered. He bets that his stunning generosity to all of these debtors it is going to be rewarded. It's going to get paid forward in a sense by kind treatment he'll get from them when he really needs the help. And in the best possible interpretation of the story, he bets that his bold acts might actually gain his master a reputation for generosity in the community, send his master's stock up, and make the master even more pleased to keep him in his employment. And from the response of the human master in Christ's story, it appears like this imperfect steward has actually managed closer to well in making those judgment calls. He's being told, well done. He's being commended. A young executive was racing down the street of, of a city in the United States when all of a sudden a brick was hurled out from between some cars from the sidewalk and it slammed right into the side of his less than a year old shiny Jaguar. And the exec slammed the brakes on, screeched to a stop. He had seen where the brick came from. He opened the door. He went right out there and he collared the kid who had very clearly thrown the brick. And there's a look of terror in the kid's eyes as the boy says to him, Mr. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I just, I just didn't know what else to do. I'm sorry that I threw that brick. I just, nobody would stop. I didn't know what else to do because you see my brother, he fell out of his chair. And he's too heavy and I can't lift him up. And nobody would stop. And the young executive looked and he saw an overturned wheelchair just beyond the end of a car and the crumpled form of a, of a child in the gutter. And he felt profoundly convicted and he walked over And he helped the child up. And it was a slow, thoughtful walk back to the car. As he got in and went upon his way. And amongst even deeper decisions than this, he decided that he was not going to repair the dent in his door. He was going to use the money for something better than that. And besides, he needed that dent to remind himself, do not go through life so fast and faithlessly that someone has to throw a brick at you to get your attention toward what truly matters. So please forgive me 
for hurling one of Christ's bricks at you tonight. It was not intended to harm you any more than that brick when it first hit me was intended to destroy me either. Let me just ask in closing what I think Christ is asking me. What's your management plan going forward? Okay? The day of accounting is coming. What's your management plan? Are you genuinely conscious of being responsible and accountable for what you have and the way you use it? Are you humble enough to recognize and admit that you may not have been managing in quite the way that the master would have you manage these resources? Because the evidence of those three qualities of responsibility, accountability, and humility will be the presence of the fourth. You will be mutable. You will be willing to change in the way that you use uh, some of these resources. You will realize that the only treasure you get to keep is what you've racked up in the coin of relationship. And if you are a shrewd steward, you will prioritize relationship with your master, with your church, with the needy people of this world. You'll start aligning your spending and your giving to the reality of a kingdom of light whose very center is a very compassionate and very generous and very gracious God. As we read in 1 Timothy 2, God wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. That is why Christ gave himself as a ransom for all people. I tell you, said Jesus, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.